I want to take a second to express the importance of completing your census. Many don't realize that this is how funding from the U.S. government is distributed. More and more of our people are coming to America every year, and it's important for us to be counted. When we're counted, it can determine how much money we get for federal programs that can help our people. When you fill it out, your answers are confidential. This funding helps, and so if you don't do it for yourself, do it for your kids, for your community, for your descendants. We count too. Make it clear by getting counted. Fill your census out if you haven't already. This message was brought to you from One East Palo Alto, a nonprofit organization working to maintain good quality of life for residents of East Palo Alto. I have a feeling that in in the middle of us doing this, my dog, one of my dogs is going to freak out. So it's no Oh, problem. okay. It's a number of different people over time. I'm sorry. There it is. <laughs> there it was. <laughs> there it was. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Four Micronesians by Micronesians, and this is a podcast that highlights dynamic Micronesians that everyone should meet. But today I have an ally um, who is doing a study on the Micronesian community. Could you tell me more about yourself and a little bit of background? Yeah, well, happy to be here. Maybe I should say how, how we came across each other, Yeah. how I heard about the podcast. So as I was, you know, I was about to do my, quote, field work. Um, for my PhD, um, after having, you know, finally convinced people that it, that it was ready to go and the pandemic hit. And so my version of what happens when that comes was, okay, everything's going to be remote. All my conversations are going to be remote. I'm still going to be reading and looking into archives and understanding law and the conflict free association, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I have to think, um, remotely. And so um, one of the first things that happened, I was I was working on something else and I just was on a, a website and I saw there was going to be a meeting um, about Black Lives Matter and uh, Micronesian youth and what they could learn from each other. And I thought, yeah. huh, it's really, really interesting. Um, I would love to hop on that conversation. And by coincidence, it was in two hours when I happened to come across it. So <laughs> like clearing my evening, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on this call. And then it was me and like, 70 Micronesian kids and I was like hi <laughs> I, I felt I kept my video on which you know I like oh, I, get, I get so scared of that all the time anyway and um yeah and I just like listened and there were breakout groups and there was some a young woman talking about how she came to you know get involved and actually do something active in terms of Black Lives Matter and then Micronesian youth were talking and you were on there and there was a lot of interesting conversation about how things change intergenerationally with justice, how you talk to your parents, your grandparents about issues, how things are connected, like Black Lives Matter and um, Micronesian concerns in terms of military and police control. So it was super interesting. I saw you there and then you were like, I have a podcast. Bye. And I was like, oh, I like that. I should reach out to her and see. So, yeah, so I saw that and that was like I, one thing I've discovered in my research is that there's a lot of really interesting conversations happening online. And my goal is to think about the idea of compensation, um, form of reparations, and what it means to the Marshallese community from people from all different perspectives. And really where this comes from, I think the easiest way to talk about my past and my work and how I got here is that before I went back and did a PhD, which I was just explaining to you is, you know, not a means to an end for me. It's, it's, a, it's a 
point along the way in, in studying and understanding things as an American mm -hmm. uh, was I did uh, repatriation work for about half a decade. Um, so this was fielding the claims of native groups, usually federally recognized tribes to have the return of their ancestors and cultural items, items of great significant ceremonial items from museum institutions. And this is guided by something called the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, which is passed in like 1990. Mm -hmm. so it's been around for a while. And so we would work with all of these different indigenous groups, work with their claims, liaise through the museum and through its legal team and talk about you know, long-term justice migration issues of something, an item, uh, a human body being removed and how it might return and whom it returns to and, and what's the justification for it. So it was all these like moral legal tangles over time and, and so many different stakeholders and so many different opinions of how it goes and people's fears and people's um, need to heal in a community, all of that. And uh, that's what I did. So I think, um, it has really influenced my desire to um, stay involved with these issues and understand not only what the United States has going on in the continental mainland, but all of its insular, territorial, and in the case of the Marshall Islands, freely associated state relationships with other places and um, understanding what is going on and what it actually looks like. And so because repatriation or return to a place of origin um, is, you know, sometimes conceptualized or thought of as a practice of reparation, mm -hmm. bringing back together, um, uh, using the force of law for, you know, for the restoration of rights. Um, you know, I saw, I saw a real parallel in wanting to know even the fuller story. Not that I had covered that and understood all of that, but I did it, I did it for a while and um, I wanted to dedicate what I was doing um, in my, in my PhD to is this um, this outward focus, this island focus, and how although it's places that are quite far away from certain seats of power, it's it's incredibly important to understand and integrate and um, have people know where these places are, what's going on, and how they represent, you know, sometimes the interests and inclinations of of a very powerful state like the United States. I love that you went to that. So it's so funny because you're you're really good. You were like, I cleared my schedule. I was the worst that day. I remember that. <laughs> discussion and I was like I had to go do something but at the same time I was like I really want to go to this because it's so important and so I was like trying to multitask and I was I was trash that day <laughs> trying to be in the conversation but I was also doing other things I love that you found me but I think that is so interesting because I with everything going on with Black Lives Matters and the movement around the racial tension the move, different movements going on with racial tension I think like something that like I've been trying to really highlight is that like we are like people of color are often they're they're different the patterns going on in society like they're so they're intertwined so much mm -hmm. that in ways that we don't always recognize and I think that that day there was a lot of really great conversations about that and I think in addition to that like something that I've like told a few people is you know we're we're from a really interesting group of people because I think we don't always recognize the ways in which just through legislation um, we're being oppressed. So um, like the very obvious one that people know about is that, you know, we were written out of being able to receive um, like Medicaid or CHIP or TANF, um, these different, you know, benefits to the government, right? But we pay into them. So we're able to 
work in the United States and then pay into these benefits, but we can't receive the benefits. And so that's like a very obvious way that legislation works against us. But I think we're learning each year, like all these different ways that the black community is there's legislation that's written very specifically to oppress that group of, you know, individuals or that community. And I think um, something that I was telling someone was, I think with the black community, it's so overt and it's so purposeful. Whereas with Micronesians, a lot of the time, um, I think it's just because we're forgotten. Like we're such a small community and a lot of the time we don't have a seat at the table and people don't remember who we are. And so like, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a lot, there's always been these big claims that when, that we used to get Medicaid and TANF and CHIP and all these things and EBT and that when we were written out, it was an accident, it was an oversight. And so it was like, oh, we forgot to include it. And yeah, so it's well, like, oh, so you just forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I almost believe it because like we are so invisible to people that I'm like, I mean, it's not impossible for that to have happened, in my opinion. And so like mm-hmm. I think like we're a different type. Like I think a lot of black indigenous people of color are falling through cracks, but for different reasons. And so I say, you know, we have to like respect our black brothers and sisters because like they're going through this. Um, but what we're going through is very different in this way. Like, I think that we're falling through cracks because people just, they just don't consider us. So I guess like, that would be my question to you. Like, how did you learn about the Micronesian community and like what, obviously you worked with like indigenous communities. So, um, how'd you learn about Micronesians and like what really sparked your interest? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's one I've been asking other people as well, um, which always yields these fascinating stories, sometimes about Peace Corps, sometimes about, uh, Mm -hmm moving into you know growing up in Spokane and then you become an ESL teacher and suddenly you're like oh I don't who are these students that you know I don't know this language and they what's going on here and then you learn um so yeah I just wanted to comment maybe before on what you were saying because it's really interesting and one thing that I'm noticing as I study this is and that many many people have said this isn't my unique thought but just over time you know places like um Micronesia, or if I'm thinking about the Marshallese in particular, they go through these periods of, of being seen and unseen around political mm-hmm. events kind of shift, right? Yeah. So um, the fact that, you know, legislation was written that had such a drastic impact. And now that was in 1996 when, when that dropped off, right? The Medicaid. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, it's 2020, like that was a very long yes, time ago. Yeah, right? years ago now. It was a long time ago. A new intervention to say like, hey, COVID is happening. Look how it's disproportionately affecting um, the Marshallese, Pacific Islanders, maybe all people who are, who are marginalized in any way or have a difficult socioeconomic position. And, um, but through history, it's kind of come and gone. And then you also see at the same time, like the real prefacing of this relationship. So, you know, Pompeo's going out there and, and, the, and uh, FSM Palau and Marshallese are meeting with Donald Trump, you know, so there's now there's a lot of, uh, you know, positioning because COFA is going to be renegotiated and there's a lot of Chinese interest in the Pacific and all of those politics come up and now maybe we start to see it again, but like it, it, rather than seeing it ongoing. So when you make that distinction, I think that's really a good one between perhaps what's happening in the African-American community and the Micronesian community in terms of how they're seen and how sort of responsibilities mm-hmm. towards them with them are, are carried. Um, so I'm trying to think, um, years and years ago, I actually wanted to, I did a project that had to do with, 
and I had learned about um, sort of the insular areas. I don't think at the time I knew about freely associated states, but I was like, you know, what's what is the Northern Mariana Islands like? How yeah. does that's like that's really <laughs> interesting. That sounds like super academic and removed, but like you know, I've heard this even you know from 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 Micronesian people. Like when you like there's so much to know. There's so much like so much has go, gone on. Like how could you possibly know? And it's not as if it's in a textbook. I grew up in California, and so it's been interesting to me to talk to some of some people in the Marshallese community from that area and learn about the history of that because I know my upbringing and who I encountered and thinking of that place is very diverse, but I had no idea, you know, there was a Marshallese community right near where I grew up or, or you know, no one who would have told me, how would I have known that? Um, it didn't happen. So um, I think the way that I came like specifically to project and focusing on the Marshallese was um, because I have this history in studying migration and migration in particular, refugee studies. I, I did a degree on that in South Africa, so a very different context again, but um, slowly building this awareness of, of you know, how people move and how they are moved. And um, as I came back to school and decided to be a geographer and was thinking so much about place-based things, environmentally-based um, issues, I started thinking that I might want to look more and understand about environmental migration. So you are currently working on your PhD and your dissertation will be studying specifically the Marshallese folks and um, what compensation or reparations would or maybe should look like from different folks' perspectives um, because of some of the history with the United States and the nuclear testing and whatnot during during World War too. Is that correct or is that? Yeah, that's right. It's it, it's also, um, so it's looking at the Marshallese and it's also looking at uh, Chagossians. So the Chago uh, Chagossians are from the Indian Ocean mm -hmm. and uh, there was a displacement uh, there off of Diego Garcia in the late 60s, early 70s, which is its own story. There's now a military base there. So there's a similar connection between um, that and Kwajalein in the Marshall Islands. Um, so I wanted to look at two places um, that both have these like in-place compensation relationships from the past, i.e. there was some um, admitting of culpability and it got written down. It got put into law. There was some sort of fund established, sometimes um, depending on where you were, right? Both cases have a situation where it was like, okay, depending on where you were when this event or this displacement or this uh, injustice happened, not term, not term so usually in, in the law, um, I wanted to look at that and sort of trace it forward and then see what connections also might exist between them. So uh, it also includes the um, Chagossians, but yes, that's that's what I'm trying to do. It's really like a past, present, future rumination on compensation. So let me, let me dig into all the paperwork and the files and also talk to people about that. What was compensation? How do we decide 150 um, in a fund, how do we decide, you know, four atolls would be represented in, you know, funding? How do we decide there'd be resettlement funds for bikini? And then, you know, move into the, to the present, how has that worked out? How are people managing that? How do people think um, compensation funds should be used, should be um, administered, um, should, be, should be, you know, given to people? And then looking at the present and future, you know, when, you, when you're living partially at home, people in the Marshalls, people in the U.S., what does compensation look like now? So I think like any time something's brought to light or there's awareness in our community, I think that it really helps our community. My goal is to put, I guess, 
um, some type of information up so that if people would like to support your research that they can do so. Um, but that would just be simply by participating. So for folks who are like not in the, the scholar world, there's two types of research. There's qualitative research and there's quantitative research. Um, quantitative research, in my opinion, is like the devil just because I'm like, I always say like I became a social worker because I do not like math. <laughs> so I like, you know, it's like statistics and yeah, and, and like really like sitting down and having people do things. But like then it's like it, it, it quantitates into these numbers, right? So it's quantitative research. Whereas qualitative research is like sitting down and interviewing people and getting different perspectives. And it's more of like this gray area, but like it's really fascinating because it's like um, a lot of the time, like social sciences, like they really appreciate qualitative research because like you're really looking at perspectives and, um, and culture and things of that sort. So can you tell us a little bit more about like the types of modalities you're using with research? Yeah, yeah. As I was saying before, I'm, I've always been a real qualitative gal. Um, and, and I guess that's what I've been trained to do also seems most natural. And I always find that, you know, the quantitative input needs qualitative interpretation, right? So right. it makes but, it more human, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's sometimes really nice when you can have both of them live together. And so what I'm doing to try to understand this, so in addition to it being like a past, present, future question, each of those I sort of set a method to, to sort of look at it. So for understanding the past, it was like, let me look at old laws and agreements and, and the nitty gritty of like, you know, not only the compact, but it's, you know, the agreements, the, the, all the conditions, all the amendments that go into it and other things that are happening, like stateside, like what's happening in Oregon, like what sort of local municipal things are going on. So there's like an archival, you know, digging through kind of um, NIST to things, which is one method. So that's to kind of address the historical, although I'm also talking to people to learn more about that who are there or who understand it better than I do. And then the, the present tense, the right now is really the the interviews. So these are like semi-structured. I'm having conversations with people. I have ideas about what I want to ask them, their expertise related to these questions, and then kind of veering into this question of, you know, what is compensation? Like, what, what would it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Is it, is it even meaningful? Is it important that we think about it this way? Or is it just like, we just need to focus on the needs that we have, or do we need to link it to the past? Um, and if so, how do we do that in a way that is helpful to, the, to whatever you need? Um, so that's like my interviews, um, which have been like an hour usually, but I have to say, maybe it's also where we are now in the world. I've been talking to people for two, three hours at a time. Wow. Just, it has been, I mean, and also like from government officials to just like, you know, someone that works in an NGO, like the, across the board, like very different perspectives of, of what's going on um, or what has gone on. Um, so that's why, you know, get the, the bulk of talking to people and just a whole bunch of different orientations whether it's someone who's a nuclear expert, so I can get that context, or someone who's on the ground working with people, like delivering meals, masks to people, which is what, you know, some what people are doing right now. Um, and then for the future tense, so like, where are we going? How do we think of this? I designed what's called a Q source. And this is called Q methodology. And essentially it comes out of psychology, but it's been used a lot in geography, which is what I do. And basically you gather a bunch of statements, you like read, you sometimes interview people, you just really scour everywhere for what are people saying about the question of compensation? What are the range of views? Because you don't just want to talk to people like from your own perspective or interview a bunch of people that think the same way, because then you're not going to know much. You're going to know how some people think about reparations, but not people who might be saying very against it. Mm -hmm. um, 
put together this Q-sort and it's basically 40 statements that represent as best as I could range of views that people have. So that is ranging from like the US has done its due diligence that it really doesn't need to do anything more. Like that's a view that people have. So it's represented there to, you know, um, the US has an obligation to the Marshallese no matter where they are in perpetuity. Like, and then there's some that deal with the environment, all sorts of issues that would affect how we compensate. Um, and, then the, and then the participant, like yourself, because you did it, yes. is going to look at these statements and say like, huh, okay, I agree, I don't agree, I feel neutral about these, because you know, you're not gonna have thoughts on all of them. And you sort of sort them like that. And then you are sort of forced to put them in a distribution of most agree to least agree. So you can't just say, I agree with this statement. It's like, well, this statement, I agree with it more than another one or less than another one. And so by that means at the end, when you can run all these different perspectives through based on how everyone has arranged these statements, you're feeding in this qualitative information, but getting out some sort of quantitative statement about patterns of thinking or not, or you're finding that there are no patterns, which is a finding. Do you need a coach, therapist, or maybe just a little something extra? One of today's sponsors is my own personal passion, which is Casalel Counseling and Consultation. I offer mental health therapy, life coaching, professional supervision, virtual team building, training, and storytelling. Learn more about services and pricing at AngelaEdward.com. Again, that's AngelaEdward.com. So I totally hijacked this, so I'll totally let you. Do you have any questions for me? I didn't even, like, I just kind of jumped in. I don't know. Uh, how much have you talked about climate and climate change on your... No, so actually not quite yet. I, I guess um, I'm curious what you think about that or what people think about that in terms of thinking about, you know, compensation, because looking forward with, with climate change in the Marshall Islands is often highlighted amongst a handful. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's very relevant and the part of the reason it's relevant is just because like there's this bigger snapshot right so like on top of the fact that some of the okay so climate change is making the islands smaller and smaller in real time and so eventually they I want to say that it's less than six feet so taller than Michael Jordan's mm-hmm. body is how how high the, the <laughs> rising. so it's like you have to think at, like, at the highest at the highest yeah. right so Yeah, yeah, there's not a lot of land left. And it's just a matter of time. There are islands that used to exist and have just, they no longer exist in the Marshall Islands, like they've been swallowed by the ocean. And these islands that are inhabited right now, it's just a matter of time until that that happens. And so it's very important for um, our population, if we anticipate that we want to be a population that does not eventually become extinct, to have places that we can migrate to. And so I think the reason that that is an important thing to highlight is because of the relationship with like the history with U.S. Because on top of the fact that that's already happening and, you know, maybe that's inevitable anyways. um, Well, some would say it's not inevitable because climate change is impacted by humans. But um, I think we have to take into consideration that there would be other islands for the the Marshallese people to go to and to inhabit. But some of these islands are inhabitable because of the fact that nuclear testing has ruined these islands for the people there. So, you know, it really not only 
is happening, but it really limits the places where people can go even within their own land because of the testing that happened. Right. And even if there's quote unquote habitable land, you know, the, the legacy of, of radiation and all of the things that have made, you know, and different kinds of islands where they, they can give, you know, there's, there's a reason people chose to live in islands in the first place. The ones right. that they and then there's a long history, the marshals and elsewhere, of, you know, governments just saying like, oh, you know, sorry, we, right. <laughs> we're going to, you know, like Bikinians and now uh, being a part on Kili, like it's not the same. <laughs> Yeah, it's what you just said, like, it totally, like, it fascinates me, though, because, you know, I think, um, you know, like, there's, like, it's kind of shifting the conversation, but there's also, like, these thoughts about, like, with the military, so, like, if you go into the military, and, like, let's say you come back, and you have something medically wrong with you, whether it's mental health or physical health, like, whether it's PTSD, Mm -hmm. or that something happened to you, um, like, a bombing, or something like that. Um, you know, people say like when you go back to the Federated States of Micronesia or Marshall Islands or Palau, that you do not have access to veteran, like any veterans benefits. And so like mm-hmm. the argument with that a lot of the time is like, oh, well, they can just come to America and there's the VA here. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's really, I think it's a little bit of a microaggression because it comes from a place of privilege, right? Of like, oh, well, then why don't you just do this? It's easier. But it's like, it's kind of like forcing someone to like, it's like forcing your own thought process into it of like, so I'm American. Um, mm-hmm. I was born and raised here. So like when I think about myself, I'm like, if somebody just <laughs> told me like, oh yeah, Angela, this is where you're from. This is like your culture. This is where you're comfortable. And they were like, um, but here, we're just going to move you to, I don't know, some other random country where the culture is completely different and you're going to have to deal with it because like, you know, like health, you want to be healthy, right? Like it's just so demeaning in a way. Like that's why I say it's a microaggression because it's like, it's, like if it's it comes from a place of privilege of like you don't have to worry about losing anything so it doesn't mean anything to you but like it's yeah yeah, it's it's it's, there's a lack of empathy there to think that like but why would that not be really hard for somebody else to go through but you don't have to think about it because you don't have to think about how hard that would be for you to go through yeah it's a lack of imagination really like in order to have the empathy you have to understand some of the situation and also to your point about like accessing medical stuff or veterans um, funds, you know, it, it also makes the assumption that people know how to navigate those legal systems as if they are built for them and they are not oh, yeah. who they're built for because it's hard for everyone, right? But especially someone coming who may have language issues or yeah. maybe they're elderly and, you know, that, that it's, it's difficult to, to figure out for anyone. I mean, look, I mean, look at the American healthcare system in general. Right. Not- I think this thought that we're being compensated has to really be looked at from a broader perspective. And when I say that, what I mean is that we like to think that the United States is giving us these gifts, right? By saying like, oh, well, we'll allow you to come here and work here freely and live here freely and this, that, and the other. But we have to remember that they're also getting benefits from this relationship. So we have, you know, like I've said this a few times now, but like we have um, the Micronesian population, well, COFA migrants specifically, are joining the military at a faster rate per capita than American citizens are. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we're not, we're not the only ones reaping benefits from this relationship. And we have to remember that because we don't get to say like, oh yeah, like you definitely have given us your compensation and your reparations. And, you know, we're the only ones benefiting at this point from this relationship. They are also benefiting from us. And we have to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a strategic importance of that, which quite frankly is, is an enormous part of that. I mean, that's how you start entering into 
you know, how you get to the compact of, of free association and, and how you can then attach rights. And that's another thing I have been talking to people a lot about and thinking about, you know, the political will to give, compensate, or, or offer uh, certain things um, is, is, is so tied to like particular events and where, and where we are. So a question, you know, to people is, you know, how do you build political will for the needs that you have when you're outside those sort of critical times like a really thought-provoking question that we should ask ourselves which i'm not saying you have to like include this in studies at all but it would be is it really compensation or reparations if there's like an element of exploitation also going on Mm. yeah and what you're comfortable sitting with i mean so there's tons of people that would say like i i don't want reparations from you i don't want compensation or i don't need that or i don't want that or i don't want to be a part of that payout or what have you. And there's tons of examples of that from across, across the board. And well, so should we, should we also ask uh, you how you feel about uh, compensation or how you would go about what, what, what aspects of it you think are most important or important? Do you think it's an important? I do, but it's, you know, it's actually really, really interesting because I think actually like completing the survey when you sent it over to me and I like sat down and I did it I was like I think it actually like it challenged my own thought process because um I think a lot of the time like we don't ever deep dive or like there's a lack of critical thinking and so I think for me that was like when I sat down and I was like I've never critically thought about this like I I, like think I have all these like grand opinions and I'm like I don't really have any grand opinions I'm just like (laughs) Oh, good. It's nice to hear as someone said. <laughs> but like, it was, it was really good to like, it, it, like, I felt challenged, but I liked mm-hmm. it. Like, I was like, I think that we need to be challenged in life, to like really think about things. And so like, I like really appreciated filling it out. Because after I got done, I was like, you know, like, I think like, if you would have sat down and you asked me a yes or no question, I think I have an opinion. It's like, oh, do you mm-hmm. think that reparations and compensation is a good thing? And I'm like, yes. And that's like, do you think that the Marshallese community should get reparations or compensation for you know, this, and I'm like, yes. And then it's like, like these deeper questions of like, why, or what that would look like, or how you think that would impact, you know, it's like, I'm like, oh, I guess I don't really know. <laughs> so, so like, um, it was really good to fill it out, because I'm like, I, I know that it's like something that I think I was like, yeah, that's definitely necessary. I never actually deep dived into like, like what that would look like, or what that means to me. So oh, good. that's, so, that's so thank you. That's like, very, uh, inspiring and, and reassuring <laughs> going through this process where everything is through a screen um because those it's kind of it's supposed to be done like the psychologists who develop it are really obsessed with the idea that it happens in person which of course i get because you know you can be that you're talking to the person ideally right you have your interviews in person but also they have this idea that if you like watch people like move it around and like slot this and this way and this over here that you could like read them which I think is a kind of like I'm not sure I can like if you like make a face or like look uncomfortable for a minute like I don't do I know what that means I don't know if I know what that means so I almost find it kind of nice that people can just like sit there as you described and and ruminate on it and be like huh like what you know what would compensation look like should it be for housing could it be healthcare what are the implications if we say that is reparation like how are we talking about one past injustice? Are we talking about everything since? Like, what's the real obligation of the United States? How far do I think it goes? Um, what's the role of the Marshallese community in that? Well, like, I guess, like, I kind of have, like, this deeper thought of, like, I don't know that we're really, I guess, like, when I think of reparations and compensation, I think of it as, like, um, like, we did you wrong, 
So, and this is like me thinking from a very basic standpoint and like very general speak, like, yeah. So like, okay, I did something wrong. So how can I make it right? And so mm-hmm. like, and the reason I think that it's not that simple is because I do think the United States is benefiting from the compact. And so I'm like, but is mm-hmm. it reparations and compensation? If like, it's not completely like, you know, we did you wrong, we're going to make it right. But it's like, well, we'll make it right. But only if you still give us some of these cool things that we want. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're never going to use this. Oh, of course. I mean, let's be, let's be frank. I mean, without that leverage, I'm not sure what, you know, there's, yeah. there's a reason. The reason that it's it's valuable territory for the U.S. and there's a reason that like the Kwajalein base has like a climate change plan and maybe some other places don't like you know yeah, like there shouldn't be stipulations like that there shouldn't be a stipulation of like well we'll give you some reparations if you give us some benefits to it like we need to know that we're getting something out of it and then it's like well are you really righting or wrong if you feel like you need to get something out of it so this is probably a good time for the call of action I always ask but like what would be a good way for people to um, reach out to you or get a hold of you if they want to participate in what I did, which was mm-hmm. put the, the survey? Do you call it a survey? Well, I'll just call it a survey, like the, the, the diehard. It's like the most simple way to put it. Say that, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's like a survey where you're, where you're sorting rank. Pretty comprehensive, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, you, you'll, you'll be thinking. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to just be reached at my email. I'm actually not a big social media person, so I'm really only on LinkedIn. So I'm happy to share my email um, or put my contact information. So I'm, I'm doing that survey. I'm, I'm having interviews. So I'm talking to anyone that is, you know, part of the Marshallese community or is concerned with these issues, or even if you're not, but you're curious about it. I've been talking to people about that too, because that's important as well. Um, so I'm happy to I'd love to interview as many people as possible. It can be as short or as long as you have time for. If you talk to me, I'll come back to you and say, like, is what I is what I wrote okay? okay. So and then where what is your email for people to reach out? My email is B as in boy, Wheeler, my last name, W-H-E-E-L-E-R, B Wheeler at Clark C-L-A-R-K-U dot E-D-U. So Clark University is my home university. It's outside of Boston. Wonderful. That's all I have for you, unless you have anything else for me. <laughs> no, you've already suffered through the Q sword, I think. No, you. <laughs> it was really good. Like I said, it, I thought it was really thought No, it's really, yeah, it's super interesting to talk to these things about as many people as possible. Thank you for, for doing this with me. Thank you for dealing with my like voluminous emails and getting us to just talk online. I think this was great. And thanks again for doing the Q sword. Um, yeah, no thank problem. you. Thank you. And you have a good day. I'll let you know next time I'm in Chicago. Awesome. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, that was our episode. For Micronesians by Micronesians is an anchor production hosted, created, and produced to you by me, Angela Edward. You can learn more about me at AngelaEdward.com. You can follow the show and get more Micronesian content on Instagram at For Micronesians by Micronesians, all one word. Also, don't forget to support Micronesian businesses that can be found on the For Micronesians by Micronesians Instagram page under the highlights. We will be back next week with an all new episode. If you would like to recommend any topics, please feel free to DM them into the Instagram page. Thank you again for listening to all of my Micronesian friends, family, and allies. Catch you next time.